Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to continue our discussion of 1 Timothy 2, just 11 and 12, even though this whole section goes down through the end of the chapter in verse 15. Just a few short verses. There's so much packed in here, (laughs) and you've probably noticed that we're just taking it one verse at a time and sometimes even half of a verse at a time. But we really want to dig in and make sure that we unpack all that the Lord has for us here in this section of Scripture. And I do truly believe that our last episode set the groundwork, or hopefully laid that groundwork uh, and foundation for this discussion, because we already mentioned that we're getting into highly controversial territory, and probably already stepped on some toes with regard to the discussion on modesty, and I understand that. But hopefully what we've done is looked at it from a theological perspective and tried to make the case throughout human history that uh, shame and nakedness and uh, those types of things are legitimately God-given and they're here for a reason uh, within the human race. And so modesty, uh, again, dealing with modesty has to do with both external and internal. And we're looking at disruptions to corporate worship. We're talking about the church assembled. And so the church is going to be made up of, you know, both genders, men and women. We believe there are just two genders, and the scripture says that. And you're going to have adult men and women, and you'll have children and boys and girls. And so we understand that. But when it comes to an ordered church and ordered worship, the church assembled, we have disruptions. We have the men. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, so they have to be encouraged to do those things. Then they're doing some things that they shouldn't do because of sinful proclivities. And then you have the women doing things that they're not supposed to do because of their sinful proclivities. And so we have all that working together. Now, when it comes to the Word of God, and that's why one of the reasons that we gather together, we come together as a church so that we can grow in our knowledge of the Word. We come together as a church so that we can not just sing and pray, but so that we can be changed by the Word of God, so that we can look in the Word of God as a mirror and walk away changed, not forgetting what we look like, but understanding the text a little bit better to say, okay, here, here is the mind of God. This is what I know more about God because of this text. I know more about myself because the mirror of Scripture has revealed it to me, and I know how I must then live so that I can live in a way that is pleasing to God as I go forward. Well, that's what happens in this text of Scripture. Now, like it or not, we have to be able to set aside some of our preconceptions, especially living in a society that is postmodern, anti-God, and anti-Christian for the most part, and they've taken from that worldview and tried to impose certain ideas and values, ideals and values, that come from a godless worldview on the Christian church. And in some cases, it seems that those within Christendom have been affected. Have I been affected? Probably, 
I like to think that I am aware of certain things, but I know that our society and our culture has affected me in ways that I don't even understand. Oftentimes those ways are subtle and they're only exposed later through prayer and through much study of the scripture. When I come across a philosophy or theology as I'm studying the word of God and say, hey, this, this doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't match with what I believe and what I have known. And am I perfect at checking my preconceptions at the door? Probably not. But this isn't a misogynist text. Uh, this is, we have to come to the text of God. We have to come to the, the Bible with the understanding that it is God-breathed. And if we are having a, a problem with the text, this is not a problem with God. This is not a problem with the Apostle Paul. Really what that shows and what that exposes is that we probably have a problem. And that's very important to understand. And just as we spent time looking at this command to the women in verse 11 and demonstrating that the command is actually a positive command in light of historical context, both within the you know, Jewish culture, within the Greek and Roman culture, the Greco-Roman culture, women by and large were not allowed to learn and it was not looked highly upon. So the fact that we have a command here from supposedly from feminists within Christendom, liberal, and I mean theologically liberal feminists within Christianity who are calling Paul a misogynist, a woman hater. Uh, he is advocating for women's rights when no one, literally no one in all the world at the time of the church is advocating for women's rights. And he's saying, no, they need to learn. They must learn. What do they need to learn? They need to learn the word of God just goes to show. I mean, he believes what the spirit is moving him and teaching him and the things that he's learned at the feet of Christ for the three years. And you go back and look at all those things. He believes that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. What does the church need? The church needs the word. The church doesn't need music. They don't need theater programs. They don't need smoke and mirrors and fog machines. They don't need those things. They need the word of God. And, and therefore, everybody who's a part of the church, both genders, men and women, all ages, the elders, the parents, and the children, they all need to be able to learn to read, to understand. They need to be taught. Why? So that they can understand the word of God, so that when it is read, when it is taught, there's understanding. And he says, listen, I'm not barring women from that. And I know that I'm going back and rehashing some of that. So I'm going to stop right there because we did cover that in the previous episode. But that is absolutely crucial to understanding. When he is commanding, and it is in the imperatival force here, the voice, imperative voice, uh, or tense, I should say, that it is given as a command, that they must learn that that is positive. But then he couches that and says they have to learn quietly. They have to learn submissively. We don't like those. We sure uh, you know, squirm under those, th those words today. But nonetheless, this is from the Lord. Now, why should they learn that way? Well, there is another side, and this is going to come up in verse 12. There is a prohibition to the women. 
There's a positive command, but then there is a prohibition, something that they cannot do. Well, what is that? That's what we want to discuss today. Here's what verse 12 says. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. All right. There is so much here. (laughs) It's incredible. We have this prohibition to the women. We have to realize that Paul, what he is doing here in verse 12, is interpreting what he said in verse 11. When he says, and he qualifies that they need to learn, but they have to do it quietly and with submissiveness, he's now qualifying that. In case you don't understand what I mean by quiet, in case you don't understand what I mean by submissive, I'm going to spell it out for you in verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, and here's that bookend, she is to remain quiet. Strong prohibition here, first of all, I do not permit. What this means and what we could go back and maybe rephrase this as is under no circumstances is this ever going to be okay. That's how we need to understand this. And I've already mentioned this, but let me state it again, maybe in a different way so that we can make sure we're all on the same page. Paul is under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have to keep that at the forefront of this conversation. And this comes up to his letter to the Corinthians when he says, I, not the Lord and things like that. And we're not here to get into that discussion in no way, in no way does that statement to the church at Corinth or this statement here, because he uses the first person personal pronoun, I, is he saying that this is my own thought and the Lord has nothing to do with this? No, he is being used by the Holy Spirit. Move, carried along. These are the terms that Peter uses to talk about the process of inspiration. But Paul is being used that way to say this. And we have to understand, and this is under a whole discussion under inspiration and under the the doctrine of Scripture, of bibliology, that, that what is happening here is God not only carries people along and moves them that way, we don't believe in the dictation form of inspiration, but he allows people to use human personality, which is why we have, it's not dictation, it's not mechanical. That's why we have different syntax, different vocabulary from somebody like Paul, as opposed to somebody who had medical training like Luke, as opposed to somebody who's simpler in their vocabulary, like John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And that vocabulary is different than Peter's vocabulary, which is different than John's vocabulary. And John's vocabulary is different from his gospel and his epistles, although similar there. And then we would expect to find as he switches genres and goes from gospel narrative and epistolary later on with the Johannine epistles to all of a sudden apocalyptic. And there's a whole set of new vocabulary when we get into John's revelation. So we have to be able to appreciate that. So when he says, I do not permit, this is in no way negating the authority of scripture. This is not Paul alone. God has nothing to do with that. That wouldn't make it into scripture. I mean, he's teaching about the ordered church here and the Lord surely is powerful enough. Is he not? 
those who say they believe in an all-powerful, almighty God, to stop Paul from saying this if this is not what he meant. But he guides him along. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. So he says, I do not permit. He's using his own language. He's, he's making it very clear and forceful here. I do not permit. Okay. Yes, but he's speaking on authority of his apostolic office, which he has been placed in by Jesus Christ. He is one of a handful of people in all of history, not just at that time, but all of history because no one else has come. Uh, and we've talked about this in the past as well. No one else is able to fill the qualifications of an apostle for the office of apostle today, it's not possible. Had to see him in the first century, be with him and see him resurrected in the first century and be an eyewitness to not only Jesus Christ, but his resurrection and, and then pass that on to the first century church. A lot of those are time qualifications that are restricted to the first century, to the time of Jesus, to the time of his death, burial, and resurrection and they, they, you know, no one can fulfill that today. So when he says this, this is not him personally with a B for a vendetta. This is him not only under inspiration as well, which he is that, but him declaring this as an apostle. And therefore, it's to the whole church, and it applies to us today. So he says, I do not permit, under no circumstances. What doesn't he permit? A woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, the question is, is this any man? All the men in the church? All occasions where the church meets? Context is very important here. What we're talking about is corporate worship. Context indicates that this is specifically with regards to the elder and pastor of the church. How do we know that? Because of where he goes in the letter. The very next chapter, he's going to talk about the two offices of the church. There are only two. You might have others from a practical necessity. Do you need a treasurer? Yes. Do you need a secretary? Sure. The larger the church gets, do you need other people that fulfill other roles? Maybe. Sure, we can allow that. But the only two that are mandated and dictated by Scripture under inspiration of the Holy Spirit are the pastor, elder, right? The pastor, teacher, and the deacon. That's it. So with regard to the church assembled, with regard to corporate worship, this pertains to the church assembled under the authority of the pastor, the one who must be apt to teach. Who is the teacher? Who is over all the teaching in the church? It is the pastor teacher who has been called, and not just called, gifted. You, you go back and read Ephesians chapter 4 and recognize that the pastor teacher is a gift to the church. Now, that's not to make pastors try and make more, you know, feel more highly about themselves than they ought and give themselves a pat on the back. No, what it is, is that God is saying that one of his gifts to the church, it's the people, it's, it's, it's how he gifts them. Some people are phenomenal at hospitality and mercy and prayer and, and all of those things and in giving. And we're supposed to do all of those things. Every Christian is supposed to do every one of them, but specifically to the pastor that he gives as an under-shepherd over a church, he is to be a teacher. Well, here's the issue, and we're going to get really into this. This is why this prohibition has to start here, and then he's going to have a longer explanation, which is obviously going to be saved for the next couple episodes that follow this one. Women, and there's a reason for this, have a tendency, and we're, we'll get into all this, so don't worry, but they have a tendency 
to want to step into a role from which they have been prohibited, and they want to get and get up and say things and and speak with authority on issues that the Lord has specifically said that they are not supposed to do. And he has given that task to one office, the pastor teacher, and then I'm going to go ahead and step on all the rest of the toes that haven't been stepped on right now and just say, and that office belongs solely to a man. And that's going to make a lot of people squirm. Now there's a reason you got to stick with me. If you're mad at me now, fine. I just ask you to bear out with me until we get to the end of verse 15, which we're not going to do today. It's going to take a couple more episodes, but there is a logical, a theological reason why this is the case. So this pertains, okay, does it mean that a woman can't teach in a business seminar in the corporate world and teach men? No, it doesn't mean that at all. What we're talking about is we're talking about the church. You can fill in all the rest of the examples. I don't have time. I'm already going to go long on this episode again. What we're talking about is the assembled church. One commentator put it this way. They are to demonstrate subjection by not usurping the authority of the elder or the preacher. That is true, not because women are in any sense inferior to men, but because God's law commands it, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, in line with his design for weaker vessels. Okay, we'll come back to that. The verb can be rendered to be a teacher. Okay, I do not permit a woman to be a teacher. You could legitimately translate it that way. Furthermore, the grammar that it is a present infinitive as opposed to an aorist, a a completed action, also helps in understanding. This present infinitive indicates a condition or process. By using the present infinitive instead of the aorist, Paul does not forbid women to teach under appropriate conditions and circumstances, but to fill the office and role of the pastor or teacher in the life of the church. In other words, what's really happening here is he's getting ready for chapter three, which keep in mind, those chapter and verse divisions are not inspired. They came centuries later. They are helpful as a tool to us. But when he is saying, I do not permit a woman to teach her to exercise authority over the man, and then he goes into the qualification of the pastor teacher and says that one of the things the pastor teacher must be able to do is not just have all this self-control within his own family and within the congregation and not be a novice and all those other things, he has to be apt to teach. He is somebody who's going to teach. You know who can't stand over the church and teach in that role as a pastor? A woman. That's, that, that's what it means. Now, there are circumstances where women can and should teach within the church. So hear me out on this, because we're not going to get into the why this episode. He, he will spend the rest of the chapter, verses 13, 14, and 15, talking about the why. And that's very important. You cannot stop at this verse and call Paul a misogynist and say you hate him and you just throw all this out and you don't like this or it doesn't mean what you, it says plainly what it says and it doesn't mean what it plainly means and says. You can't say that. You have to hear out the rest of the argument. But what we are going to do is we're going to look at the other side of this. 
While I am making the assertion and I plan to defend that in the following episodes as we work through verses 13 through 15, what this cannot mean is that women can't teach under any circumstance. How do we know this? Well, biblically, as a great biblical example, we find Priscilla and Aquila, both instructed Apollos. This is Acts 18, verse 26. But what we do know from that contextually is that was done in private and not in the worship of the church. Also, we are told in Titus 2, verses 3 to 4, that women are to teach other women. Furthermore, it doesn't mean that they don't have the gift of teaching, but it is a restriction on the location where they exercise the gift of teaching. Paul did not violate this principle Even while on the mission field where there was no doubt a lack of leadership, this is not an issue of practical convenience, but an order from the Lord for the economy and the function of the church. That is crucial. Can women teach? Yes. Can women have the gift of teaching? Absolutely. There are women, I am the first to admit it, who are much smarter than I am, who are absolutely brilliant, have an incredible grasp of languages and theology, and it's wonderful. But there is a restriction placed on the location and the office where they exercise that gift. Like I said, go back to Priscilla and Aquila. People are, you know, they, they want to make sure that there's a, a, a place where there can be a mixed, uh, a, a mixed classroom. Well, there you have it. You have Apollos, who's a man being taught by a woman in Acts chapter 18. You say, ha ha. Well, no, it doesn't prove your case because they're not doing it in the church assembled. It's done in private. Women teach other women. Great. Keep doing it. Sunday school, same thing. But what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that they can take that one office. And what we find in the world today, especially within Christianity and evangelicalism, the broadly speaking, is we find people wanting to go, and women specifically, to that one office. There are so many opportunities to to teach. There are so many opportunities uh, to be an example to the women in the church And yet it's not good enough for so many of these so-called women pastors. And I say that because, because the scripture makes it so clear that they cannot hold this office that anybody who claims that title cannot rightly be said to be that. A pastor, by definition, it has to be a male. And then all of the other qualifications have to fall into place as well. Now, you might be asking yourself, why? Why? Would there be such a prohibition when women are so smart and there are some women out there that are incredibly gifted in the area of teaching, why can't they hold that office? Why do you say they can do anything else and not that? Well, to answer that, we have verses 13, 14, and 15. And we'll come back and start digging into that in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.